Welcome to Infinity War and Beyond, the podcast where we stumble through the MCU by watching one Marvel Studios film each week until we reach the mega epic blockbuster that is Avengers Infinity War. I'm Billy and I will be your host this week as we look at Avengers. As always, joining me is my co-host, Christoph. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing. Look, I'm doing all right, Billy. I'm glad we're through phase one. I'm We've kind of su- reached the end of phase one. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised how quickly it's gone and relieved. I feel like, with the exception of Thor: The Dark World in phase two, I think we've gotten through some of the sort of the rougher, more mundane films. Uh, yeah. Look, I, I don't know what you watch preparing to watch Avengers. Like, I couldn't remember. Oh, I mean, I did enjoy. It. I did remember that I enjoyed it, but it was like, uh, I wasn't sure if it was going to be. I don't know, I felt very engrossed into it, I, f- I feel, watching it again. Okay, what I know... still had the familiar, you know, joys and feelings I had for it, even from the first time around. What stood out to me about the film was how basic these versions of the characters are compared to where they've taken them now. Yeah. I think it, it speaks to how uh, the sort of the character development and evolution that's been going on for these characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, as well as the fact that... I think the concept of the Avengers at the time was very novel. Basically, a successful team superhero film. Exactly. Uh, and so they, they really only had to hit a few basic notes to make that work, and they did. Yes. Uh, so, do you want to tell listeners uh, who maybe are new to the podcast what we do each week on okay. Infinity War and Beyond? So, in, on Infinity War and Beyond, as discussed in the intro, like me and Christoph are watching every single film in the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe concurrent oh no, no, no really sort of yes really, really sort of um until we reach infinity war uh whatever we do after infinity war we haven't decided i mean so. it was floated uh one of the podcasts that we do Pirates of the caribbean i'm not sure i'm not sure if i have a stomach for that but we'll see how we go <laughs> that long sigh um but yes um and we talk about our initial thoughts of the film we talk um some stats um if it's held up uh, we go th- we pick some various parts of the film that we um, sort of stood out during yeah. our next run next watching of it because I mean the reality is that pretty much everyone who's going to see these films has at this point so what we try and do on the podcast is give a little bit of context and kind of look at how these movies hold up and how they sort of appear now in the larger context of film in 2018 and also in the context of the other Marvel Cinematic Universe films yes. Um, and Billy, we have fairly different opinions. Yes, Christoph. Christoph is the grumpy Statler and Wardoff, or yeah, look, you know, David of the uh, podcast. And yeah, I'm a little I'm bit the, burnt out. Yes, I'm the Kermit flailing, yay, slash Margaret of the uh, podcast. Yeah, you certainly have a lot more stamina uh, and positivity for these films than I'm able to muster up a lot of the time. I will I will point out, I will, as, you know, I don't know, as Samuel Jackson says, beat up a motherfucker when, in regards to the film, if it is shit. I will say it's shit. Of course. And, you know, and again... As I'm, discussed with The Incredible Hulk. Of course, and again, I'm not going to shit in these films if, uh, you know, when they are genuinely good. But, look, I'm a little bit burnt out and I tend to be a bit more cynical. Well, do we want to go to the trailer and then uh, get into it? Yes. War has started. And we are hopelessly outgunned. Director Fury, 
I think it's time. You're here with a mission, sir? Trying to get me back in the world? Trying to save it. Doctor, we need you to come in. What if I say no? I'll persuade you. What are you asking me to do? It's called the Avengers Initiative. I thought I didn't qualify. Apparently I'm, what is it, volatile, self-obsessed? And don't play well with others. I think they need a timeout. creatures to defend you. You have made me very desperate. We're not a team. We're a time bomb. Avengers came out on May 4th, 2012. Uh, it was directed by Josh Whedon. Josh Whedon, yeah. Uh, and screenplay-wise by Josh Whedon and Zach Penn. Yeah, so initially, from what I've read... Um, Zach Penn pen, uh, penned the screenplay. Dra- yeah, he penned a draft, and then apparently Josh Whedon just... Said, said it was shit. Yeah, maybe act like there was no draft. Which, I don't know, sometimes I feel like... I am a jo- I do like Josh Whedon stuff. Recently, as we've uh, talked about before in the podcast, stuff has come out that he's basically was an asshole to his ex-wife. Yeah, and he certainly has always come across as a sort of person who could be a bit of a dick. Yeah, and I feel like um, I know what the comic people like type thing. It's like, mm, yeah, all right, I get it. But I mean, I mean, for Zach Penn to still be listed as someone clearly some of his notes have carried through yeah exactly um interesting thing to note apparently when joss whedon went to rewrite it basically the studio said that three things it had to the script you had to maintain was loki as a villain yeah a fight among the heroes fighting amongst themselves around the middle of the film mm-hmm. and the heroes teaming up together at the end of the film to take on a common enemy the reason I feel like Marvel pushed that is because, um, so the, alright, so the Avengers, like the comic, the first mm. Avengers film, oh, sorry, first Avengers comic came out in September 1963 and it was by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby under the Avengers 1. Um, and the heroes in it were Thor, um, Iron Man, Hulk, and uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yes. And apparently they were th- considering having the Wasp but it, uh, that did, by the time they got to sort of, I guess the final draft or whatever that yeah. that character wasn't there. Yeah. And so in that um, comic essentially what it was was Loki wanted to destroy Thor as per usual um, and he figured out well, the way to do it was to get the Hulk to fight Thor. And the way to do it was to maybe make Thor Hulk to be out to be a bad guy and Thor has to go stop him type it's thing. It's not super hard to convince someone that the Hulk's yeah. a bad guy. Yeah, but I feel like Marvel made sure that particular thing happened. Those three things happened in the film because of like the comic book origins. You know I what? I, I don't know if that's... Tr- 
I I don't think it's necessarily comic book origins because to me those ingredients, well, apart from Loki as a villain, obviously mm. they decided they wanted Loki as a villain. I mean, I know Tom Hiddleston has a crazy dedicated fan base, so that could have been part of the push for Loki because Hiddleston is such a draw. But the other two things, which is the heroes fighting amongst themselves around the middle of the film mm. and the heroes uh, teaming up for a common enemy are both two things that I want to see in a team book. I want to see the heroes fight themselves, fight mm. each other, and I want to see the heroes fight a common enemy. Yeah, because I mean, like, the, the old school way of thinking, like, oh, yeah, it's true, justice in the American way, it doesn't hold up as much. And, like, people are going to, like, not just team up because, like, yeah, let's team yeah. up. Gonna, like, you're we- a dick. Type thing. When you're talking about big personalities, which I think each of these Marvel films tried to establish that each of these heroes was a big personality in mm. their own way, you know, uh, Tony Stark's egocentric, Captain America's old school, and maybe a tad self-righteous, Thor, you know, is it a god and sort of still has, even though he learnt to be a bit more humble and uh, less angry in his film, he's still sort of a hot-headed god and throw them in a room and let's watch what happens. They're not going to just become a team. That's going to take time. Yeah. I mean, well, the, the thing is, they could have done a number of villains with the Cosmic Cube, essentially. Like, they could have brought back the Red Skull and had him as a villain for this film. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, well, I reckon we should talk maybe a little bit more about that in pickups. Do we want to, quickly, I would like to talk about it, what it did at the box office. Yeah, so the budget was $220 million. Do you want to take a guess? How much it made at the box office? I'd love to, but I've read before. I read before how much it made, which was one point five. Uh, one sorry, one one point five billion. Yes. Uh, so apparently, it made six point six hundred twenty three point four million in North America, uh, and eight hundred and ninety five point five million in other countries. And just for comparison, from memory, uh, the first Iron Man film was 150 million, and it made about 500 million. So this, for 80 million more, has done three times exactly the uh, three times the, the profit of Iron Man, which is, is ridiculous. Yeah, and it has also been well at the time in 2012, it became the third highest grossing film worldwide, but is now the fifth. Mm, and of course, Avatar is still number one. Is it Avatar or Titanic? I thought it was Avatar. Uh, I could be wrong. Put this way, it's James... It's fucking James Cameron. Uh, Yeah, no, it is Avatar. It's Avatar, Titanic, the Star Wars The Force Awakens, Jurassic World, and then The Avengers. So Disney's doing well regardless. Yes. Just in case anyone had doubts that they were in financial troubles. Yes. Uh, I'm surprised Jurassic World is doing better, because... But anyway, a lot of people have problems with that movie. guess what the most grossing film after... The Avengers is. I assume it's probably another... Is it either Star Wars or... Nope. Another Marvel film then? Nope. What is it then? Furious 7. Really? Oh yeah, no, that makes sense. Those movies have like a weird dedicated fan base who want to see Vin Diesel drive fast cars. I am one of those fans. I know you are. Do not make fun of me. I look, I'm not the making fun of you. The Fast and Furious films are amazing. Look, look, maybe Fast and the Furious could be the beyond. Yes. I'll definitely be able to keep up my grumpy persona for it, if nothing else. <laughs> um, now, the film was mostly well-received. It got like a 92% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And I think, I can't remember what episode I mentioned this on, but I'm sure I already have the fact that sort of uh, Will Wheaton, who, for whatever you think of him... It seems to me in this position of nerd icon told everyone that it was got to see advanced screening and sort of uh, 
belayed a lot of people's fears and said it was a great, a good film. So I remember hearing that and myself, not that I particularly put Will Wheaton on a pedestal, but I was like, oh, clearly he's got interest in the source material and he thinks it's good. That's a, that's a big relief. Yeah, look, I mean, I did, I did remember going to watch this film with um, my best mates uh, and we were all sitting in the theatre and I, part of me, me and my mate, like one of the ones that swaps comics and stuff, we were thinking like, please let it not be shit. Please let it not be shit. Because like, you know, mm. if it was going to be, sh- if it was shit, that'd be like, that's it. There's no, I don't think they could sort of go Come from Come back that. from that? Yeah. Well, I mean, tell that to Warner Brothers, given fucking Justice League. Yes. Um, this was also the first film under the Disney banner. Oh, really? This was the first one since Disney bought yeah, it? Yeah, because so what happened was the final Paramount Pictures film was Cap. Because um, oh. Disney bought the rights to Avengers and Iron Man 3. But I think as part of the deal, Paramount's logo still had to be part of Avengers. Okay, because as we've discussed in the show before, Disney bought Marvel in 2009. Mm-hmm. So, but obviously it took longer for that to carry through yeah, the films. Because the, the movie licenses, rights are separate, I assume. Yeah, all the various licenses and companies sort of falling um, under the Disney Because, of course, it was either... Was it the 90s or early 2000s when Marvel was in such bad trouble because of all those fucking uh, lithographic collector editions and all that? Yeah, look, they went in the red. And so Stanley went around Hollywood basically trying to sell off all their properties. And they did with, like, Spy- uh, Spider-Man and X-Men. Mm-hmm. Because I think at the time, we hadn't really had a big, successful superhero film. No. So it seemed like a no-brainer. We, you know, like, these aren't making us any money. Let's make a bit of quick cash on off them. And now, of course, these properties are such big money. Mm. And Marvel sort of... Disney's doing everything in its power to get them back, such as it's, you know, bought Fox. Exactly. And it's now got X-Men back in the family, and it's made a deal with Sony, so Spider-Man's back in the MCU. So it's sort of trying to call in all its banners, so exactly. to speak. Exactly. To make... Because these movies just make incredible money. All right. Um. Anything else we want to talk about in terms of the the movie stats before no, we talk about we... its a place in history? No, I think we should move on to its place in history. Yeah. So it came out in 2012, as we've mentioned. Um, and it's the end of phase one. How do you feel? You know, I we we're talking about this a little bit in the intro. The fact that. Uh, that, like you said, obviously there was a lot of pressure on this film to be good. Uh, and there hadn't really, at least in my mind, been a superhero film this big or a team film. No. Let alone one that was good uh, and hugely successful. Yeah, I mean, um, comic book-wise, there has been some like team films which were good. Like, th- some of the X-Men films are great, like the first two. Okay, I guess the reason I don't count, I think of the X-Men films differently because uh, primarily because the the character is a team whereas yeah. in this film you're combining characters from, from different film, films film franchises so it feels like a different exercise you're not yeah. just building a team you're building a brand you're yeah. you're showing that people are along the ride for these different characters in that way you wouldn't even consider then as well the fantastic four no but i didn't true. mind the first fantastic four film wasn't it a bit goofy yeah but I feel that suits the Fantastic Four. Like, it's a family film. Like, family-orientated film. The other thing I, the other thing about the Fantastic Four that comes to mind is I don't think... I don't think there's a way that Reed Richards' power could ever translate well on screen. It's a really goofy... Like, it just... 
obviously you can get away with it in the stylized environment of a comic book, but on screen, you know, with li- live action, I don't think that's ever really going to translate well. No. Um... Because, you know, how, how do you feel about it, Billy? I mean, it, look, it's a big yeah, film. Uh, it, that's, yeah, exactly. It's a big film. Um, I feel like... I don't know. I feel, I feel like it did... It wasn't... I wasn't saying it wasn't overly mind-blowing. I mean, it was a great film. Mm. But it it wasn't, like, a safe film either. It was... It hit all the marks that needed, and it abated everyone's fears and worries. You know what? I would disagree with you, and I would say it was a safe film, but it hit all its marks really well. Yeah. Okay. Um, like we we mentioned before about what Joss Whedon went to rewrite it, he sort of had uh, had to have the hero, the battle of the heroes in the center, and then them coming together at the end. I mean, the whole film to me sort of is a checklist of have we given Cap a scene. Mm-hmm. Have we given Iron Man a scene? Yeah. Have we given Hulk a story arc? Have they come together? Has Blarfight, has Hulk fought Thor? Has this yeah, happened? Yeah. And it feels like a checklist of moments you want to you want to see, such as like when Hulk goes to pick up Thor's hammer and can't. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that to me sort of stands out of the fan fa- one of the many sort of fan favorite moments and things you want to see when these characters come together. So I think it, I think it's not a bad film, but mm-hmm. I think it played it safe. Yeah. But within the, the parameters it set, the safe parameters it set, it did everything it needed to do very well. Okay. All right, well, do we want to jump into pickups and talk about some of the things that stood out to us? Yeah, let's jump into pickups. So, what is your, one of your first pickups? Well, you mentioned before we uh, put the mic on that we go through each character yeah. a little bit, given All that right, this is such a character-driven film. So, do we want to start with maybe... Let's start with, I feel like, S.H.I.E.L.D., and okay. Given that, like the initial beginning of the film, very shield heavy. Yeah, very shield heavy. So, I mean, the film starts off. I mean, prior to that, it starts off with the big bad evil mystery Loki's boss. Yeah, we don't know until the end of the film is Thanos. And I think we forget because I, you know, by the time we got about halfway through the second phase, the Thanos stuff was pretty obvious. Mm. But in this first phase, the thought of Thanos coming to screen, yeah, and was I, not was getting thought. a lot of uh, a lot of nerds a bit tight in the pants, yeah. so to speak. Um, so Thanos's, you know, underling is essentially like relating or kind of the events of what's happening, um, and it's pretty much straight after Cap and Shield at the end of Cap. Was it Cap or Thor? Well, so Cap was the latest film. Yeah, before the, sorry. So at the end of Thor, um, Nick Fury approached Eric Silvig from Thor. That's to right. you know work on. Uh, a project with the cube, basically. Yeah, harnessing the Tesseract slash Cosmic Cube. And so we're at that facility, essentially. And the facility's being evacuated because something happening, an experiment gone wrong, and Fury's, Fury's arriving on site with Maria Hill. So th- this, uh, played by Kobe Smulders. And this is the first time we see Maria Hill. But in the comics, Maria Hill is a big name. She's almost like... Um, Nick Fury was kind of ousted, and she's sort of like a no-nonsense 
doesn't take any shit sort of version. More by the books than Nick Fury. Yeah, I mean, Nick, Nick Fury, Fury comes across as a sort of person who'll do what it takes to get things done. Yeah, He's pretty whereas, flexible with his rules. Yeah, whereas after a while in the comics, she realises you have to be a little bit how Nick Fury is. Um, so a great... A, a big comics event that had her as a head of S.H.I.E.L.D. was uh, Marvel Civil War is a great yeah. example. She was at the helm and Nick Fury is, I think, on the run or undercover in a lot of that. Yeah. In a lot of that event. Um, I think Maria Hill in this film was rubbish. Really? Yeah, for sure. I mean, Marvel... This What stood out to me in this film is how much of it, it is a boys' fest and how poorly... They have female representation in these films. Yeah. And can you? And I'm just going to preface it with, to my knowledge, and I'd love it if someone could correct me. I'm pretty sure none of the MCU films to date can pass the Bechdel test. Uh, yeah, I've been thinking about that every time I watch it. I'm, and the I'd peop- have to like actually sit down and see if they do. For people at home the, who may not know what this is, the Bechdel test was something created by cartoonist Alison Bechdel, and it was essentially created as a joke. But unfortunately, it's almost become an accurate me- metric in the sense that so many films fail it. And it, and the, me- the test simply is, it, does the movie have two, me- two female characters talking to each other about something that isn't a male character? Um, so yeah, back to Maria Hill. Mm. Um, look, I mean, I, while I was waiting for you to arrive to record this, I had a look at the... Because I wanted to um, see the... Some of the deleted scenes. Some of the deleted scenes of Maria Hill. Um, they did some alternate introductions and endings for the film. Like, it, 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 the alternate introductions and endings sort of lead into how she is in the comics. Like, very much like she reports to the World Council and says, like, you know, Fury is a dickhead, essentially. He takes too many risks, whatever. And that sort of is like her comic book counterpart. I will admit that... Look, I like Kirby Smulders as Maria Hill. I, I do. I'm, I'm not having a... I'm not I having just a feel ahead. like, yeah, Maria Hill in this... I did like her as, like, another agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. I liked her as Fury's second-in-command. Um, but I don't feel like she was as much use in this as she is in Cap Winter. Winter Soldier. Soldier. Okay, look, I'll give you that. I think she does a bit more in Cap. I don't have an issue with her as Maria Hill. Yeah. I have an issue with the writing of the yeah, character. exactly. As you know, nothing... The I can't really say anything about Colby Smulders' performance because she barely gets to do anything. Yeah. She, she does a bit of shooting, that's about it. And I guess my biggest qualm with it is I think you could replace the character of Maria Hill with just a generic S.H.I.E.L.D. agent yeah. and there would be no difference to the film. Yeah. And that's, uh, I that I think that's pretty pretty disappointing and such a waste of a big Marvel character. Yeah, exactly. Um, now the other Shield character, of course, is Coulson. Yes, Phil Coulson, um, who has been the sort of like every man that's meant to be in each film and sort of, of links course. each once. The glue uh, that of holds the the phase one together. Yeah, phase one together. Um, I thought he was it was great to see. Him like grow o- o- over all the films until now, until Avengers Phase One. It was the thing about I wonder if he was always meant to die in this film. Well, I mean, it's a Whedon film, so of course, <laughs> Whedon well, films always have one person dying. Of course, because he is 
Yeah, no, you're right. It's like the wash it thing in Serenity. Be, yeah, it has to always be someone's favorite character. Of course. Or a character. Like a lovable or, character. Yeah, exactly. The thing about Coulson in this film is that him, both him and Fury, seem to have an awareness that he's a plot device. And they sort of almost break the wall, fourth wall. They make it pretty clear that they know Coulson has to die to bring the team together. Yeah. And you are also aware that as a viewer, or at least I am as someone who writes and has a bit of knowledge for story structure... Uh, They're making me him more human. Something's oh, going to happen. Not so much that, but that an event needs to happen to correct the course of these characters, the Avengers, so instead of going apart from each other, they come together. Well, yeah, And that's probably going to have to be someone that they all love dying. Yeah, I mean, as I've gotten older, I've noticed it in, like various episodes of TV shows or even like sometimes on like I know it's a stretch but reality TV like if of you see course. like if you see like a reality TV show with a large group of people um, you can't focus every single ep- you can't every episode you can't focus like all like hour the entire hour you can't focus it distributed amongst every single person and you notice like if they focus on three characters there's something specifically going to happen on those characters if you humanize those particular characters there's someone happening something happening to them mm. i mean you notice with like so phil being humanized a bit you know something's going to happen that's a great point and i mean the the mention of the celloist uh, his girlfriend yeah. the celloist comes up repeatedly and you're right that's a the fact it's the Chekhov's gun rule, which is when you see a gun, it's going to be used. Or in this case, if they're humanizing Phil, it has a purpose. And in this case, it's trying to get sort of push a little bit more attachment on the character. Yeah. So when he dies, you feel it. Exactly. Yeah, um, I did like that though. Like you know, like the offhanded comments between various characters about Phil, like as coming into a scene or leaving a scene. I thought that was great. Um, the, and then of course there's a plot point in this when Fury plants his Captain America trading cards on Phil something yeah, that wasn't they needed a push you know what I I don't think they like for, I don't think that really you could get rid of that plot point and it wouldn't change the, fil, yeah. the film the film wouldn't change the film but what it does change is it tells us a little bit more about Fury which is the fact that he's sort of Morals and what he's willing to do, and the way he's willing to bend the well, truth in order head to of a, like spy a spy agency, of course, yeah, exactly. Um, and it, it, but he also has a bit of heart in that, like you know, I'm not going to fucking blow up the entire of Manhattan when he stands no, up for the world. No, but he'll also council. he'll also lie to the world's like most powerful and potentially most dangerous people to yeah. get what he wants. Exactly, and I feel like that's potentially a precursor to the next sort of major movie he is in Captain America Winter Soldier where he's creating these inside heli carriers and doing some stuff that sort of the ethics behind it is a little bit questionable uh, if I remember correctly I mean he was trying to find out more about inside I think he was involved in the project though yeah because he I had think... that famous line to Cap about how his um, how he, how his grandfather loved people but he just didn't trust them very much and the, sort of the idea that insight is that ability to to sort of enact justice when it's required and he comes across as very end justify the means yeah but then also in that film he has Black Widow I mean I know we're straying here but he has in that film gives Black Widow a second mission to find Mm. out more about Insight that Fury feels he's not being told yeah that's a good point and I think he's He's not a, like a villain by any means, but I think he's very ends justify the means yeah. as we see in this film. Yeah. Um, 
so shall we move on to another character or yeah well okay well part of shield what did you think of the helicarrier you've seen it in the yeah. comics i think they did a good job yeah i think i noticed that for a huge helicarrier we only see very small segments of it which yeah. is of course by design yeah I, and budget i liked it i mean i i was like worried like oh god it's gonna be so wanky like mm. unbelievable but it, you could believe that it was a freaking like warship that can fly yeah well you know oh i did notice when i saw like those the uh the fans the four fans the turbines of, yeah the turbines that propel it in my head i was like there's no way those could pro-. like this is very much a fantasy vehicle there's no yeah, ex- yeah, I know. There's no sort of... Clearly they didn't consult with physicists. They went for the comic book design. And that's cool. That's fine. Like, it's a comic book film. Yeah. Um, well, since we're on, on S.H.I.E.L.D., do you want to move on to Black Widow and Hawkeye? Mm. Since they're agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yes, sounds good. Um, Who do you want to start with? Let's start with Hawkeye. Okay. Like, I'd like that they officially, like, give him his codename. Um, I did like at the beginning, it's like the Hawk... Like Eric Silvic the Hawk. Yes. He's up in his nest. I like that because, I mean, that's his thing. He's like a trained, like, sniper. And it's not, well, I mean, mm. seeing, like, that's kind of, I, I'm assuming that's kind of a thing snipers do stay from afar and see things. Yeah. I mean, my question is if he is a sniper, why just give him a fucking sniper rifle? Why does he need a bow and arrow? He, if he has perfect aim, that's not going to change with a gun. He'll just be better hey. at his job. Shut up. Leave Hawkeye alone. Yeah. Uh, I, he was under... Oh, I, I get it. He's He was essentially a plot device in this film. Mm. Almost like... What's the term for, like, you know, an object that is essentially a plot device? There's an actual term for it. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not Like, quite. if you replace that object with another object, it'd be the same thing. Okay, yeah, I'm not quite sure. But I... I don't like Hawkeye as an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. I think you're ruining... I get why they did it. It's because they want to introduce this character and it's easier to be like, he's part of his organisation than give him his own distinct backstory yeah. and uh, part of entry into the Avengers. But I it, think that, to me, is a, I don't like that version of the character. It feels very much like the Ultimates. We've discussed the Ultimates. Which, of um, course, which is the Marvel comic series yeah, uh, set in its own universe that is a big inspiration on a lot of the first wave yeah. stuff. Um, Sorry, like first in, the, in the normal comics, Hawkeye is, I think, like, he started off as, like, you know... A, he's a carny, isn't he? Yeah, a he's a carny. Um, which I think is way more interesting. And yeah. Matt Fraction, in his run on Hawkeye, really leans into this. And I think after seeing what Fraction did with the character, which was really interesting, seeing uh, MCU Hawkeye just... MC Yorkai just seems boring and vanilla and just the most uninteresting version of the character. I mean, this version of the character could not, in my opinion, sustain his own movie or series or anything. He no, he's clearly very exists much in the, the ensemble. He's very much the supporting actor. Yes, for sure. Um, yeah, like, I mean, in the normal comics, he becomes like an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. I mean, originally, he was like a carny and then sort of like a, I guess, a mercenary. Like a hero for hire sort of character. Yeah, hero for hire or mercenary bodyguard type thing. Um, and then wanting to do good. He became part of the new wave of the Avengers. So there was a period where um, Cap was the leader of the Avengers um, after Thor, uh, Iron Man, Ant-Man and the Wasp left. 
and Cap had to find new Avengers, and one of them was so the Hawkeye. big great team. No, Hawkeye. We used um, to have a god, but now we have a guy with a bow yeah. and arrow. What a cop out! And then also Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. Okay. Yeah. Uh, oh, interesting. Which of course sort of happens uh, at the end of. I was going to mention that the Avengers: Age of Ultron. It does feel of like the, the next wave of Avengers. Um, yeah. Look, I mean. He does feel exactly... Essentially, he does feel like a plot device. And half the film is mind-controlled. Yeah. So, it's to me, like... The, some some of guys the, shit in this film. Yeah, some of the fans were a bit like, oh, it sucks that, you know, my bro Hawkeye was, you know, underused and hard done by in this film. Which I can understand, but... He's also a fictitional character, so, exactly. I mean, don't feel too bad for him. But I agree, if you were a fan of Hawkeye, the character of Hawkeye, and you came to this film thinking, oh, Hawkeye's going to be in it, I'd be pretty, like, like annoyed that... I want the purple outfit. Yeah, I, I don't like that he's just in a shield outfit. It would yeah. be cool if he, he wore something else. Yeah, if um, anything, I would love the matte fraction. Um, I mean, just, like, the T-shirt uh, and yeah. the... I, I really like that version of him where he's just, like, a... Sort of a... Just a no, normal, dysfunctional dude in, like, a purple T-shirt and pants with a bow and arrow. Yeah. I think that, to me, is the best version of the character. Yeah. But I think that version of the character would admittedly not work in the Avengers, but it would work great as like a Netflix yeah. uh, series. Alright, so let's talk about Black Widow. So, how does Black Widow fare in this compared to Iron Man, her first appearance, Iron Man 2? Yeah, better. Significantly better. Yeah, much better. But you know what you... Better wig, better hair. You know what... It reminded me of her treatment by the camera and the sort of shots we see of her. It reminded me of Wonder Woman in Justice League. The fact that in her own movie, Wonder Woman was treated with a lot of respect as a character. And in Justice League, we had that fucking upskirt shot as she's exiting the bat, mm. one I of the bat I, vehicles. I, I mean, I rewatched her Avengers recently. I don't feel like there was much of that in this film. I felt there was. A great example, and this unfortunately was established in Iron Man 2 and they continued in Avengers, is the fact that even though she has like a full tactical bodysuit, mm. she has a zipper down. There's no need for that. It's it, To me, it comes across as a clearly an eye candy thing. Okay. Um, there were a couple like behind shots that I felt lingered on a butt a bit. Uh, in that opening scene when we first see her and she's tied up on the chair... With the Russians, she's sort of in a, a gaping neckline, and yeah. I just I just felt some of the shots sort of just emphasised her sort of her sexuality and her as a sexual object a little bit too much. Okay, and I, I definitely felt like she was in the movie as eye candy in this one. Yes, I mean Joss Whedon did a better job, but it it disappointed me that they were beholden to a lot of the shitty things from Iron Man that Iron Man two established about the character. Um, I felt her. Uh... Her fight scenes were much better in this film. Less like weird leg, like she uses her legs a lot in Iron Man too, which yeah. came across as like an inefficient way to fight, and just the fact they wanted to show off her Scarlett Johansson's physicality. Yeah. Whereas in this, like, she it was uses better. Her like also, fists. Yeah. Oh, and wrists. Her, yeah, her spider's bite thing, which is in the comics, um, which is almost like a shock. Uh, like an electric shot from mm. gauntlets. Um, again, she you know uh, she never talks to any of the female characters, as far as I can remember. No, she doesn't. Doesn't talk to Pepper Potts, who was in this, or um, or Maria um, Hill. Maria Hill. And they're the three female characters in the film. Yes. Um, she also doesn't get as much screen time as the male characters. No, she's very much almost like Hawkeye 
supporting actors type thing. Yes. Um, and something I noticed as well is there's that scene where the where the Avengers are in New York, and I think this is after they've... Is this, uh, maybe it's before Tony Stark flies through the void and uh, gets rid of the nuke. Um, but they're all standing and they're like looking cool and they're fighting and Black Widow is missing from that scene from that scene where it does I like, mean the camera pan no yeah. she's in it is she? I thought no no she's in it really? yeah okay alright I stand corrected there yeah um yeah I just again this is a recurring theme in the Marvel Cinematic Universe there hasn't been a MCU film with a female lead. I mean, we've got Captain Marvel. Although there is news that apparently it is finally going ahead that she will be getting one. Black Widow. Well, it's about time. Yeah. The character deserves it. And it would be nice to see them flesh out the character more and hopefully just desexualize the character and make her her own character instead of the token woman, which is 100% how she felt in this film, in mm. my opinion. What, do, what did you reckon, Billy? Um, no, look, I really... I'm agreeing with you for most parts. Um, I do agree that the fight scenes were so much better with her. Um, it, it had that very much, like when she's first introduced in the movie, that thing that Josh Whedon does, which is have like a woman overpowered and captured, um, and her captors thinking that they They have the upper hand. They have the upper hand, but then like she, un like unleashes this power that they don't know type thing and takes over them. Mm, it's the woman wounded damsel in distress but the woman becomes and... the woman becomes powerful by playing into men's sexist expectations of her. Yeah. Which look, I mean, which is cool. I mean, she is a spy and everything. I get that. Um, but like I you if you if you've looked at a lot of Josh Whedon's stuff, I'll, you know almost it's... all his female characters are written that way. Yeah. Or a great deal of them, not all um, this tactic of her acting like she's the, the victim then revealing she was in control or it was a play the whole time is also repeated with Loki when she plays Loki as well yeah. to get more information out of him. Um, I did like that, like, you know, there was... Um, I kept groaning the whole thing she keeps talking about how she's got red in her ledger. Yeah, that... I can't remember if that's in the other... She talks about that stuff in the other... In the second Avengers film? Yeah. I mean, we know that. Like, oh, even in Cap, Civil War... Oh, not Civil War. Um, Cap, Winter Soldier. Yes. Like, we get her. Like, she's done some bad things as, like, a spy for the... For the, the Russian. Soviet government, or... What um, it, What's stupid, though, is she talks about it a lot, but we've never seen it, and we've never really seen any uh, consequences of that. No. Of her Soviet past really come into, into it. Which, at a certain point... If a character keeps talking about something and you don't see it on screen, it becomes annoying. And yeah. it's almost at that point with like, Black Widow for me. Yeah, now. I mean, you get a sense that the reason she was, like, she defected to the US was kind of because of Hawkeye. And that, like, which that, sort of leads kind of to the comics as well. Um, that happens in the comics as well. Like, her and Hawkeye had a thing. And I believe he convinced, he was one of the reasons. He was one of the people to convince her to, like, to, you know, to come... Become. Yes, and in this film it's said that sort of he was on a mission where he was meant to kill her, but instead re recruited her for S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. And she sort of feels in debt to him. Something I'd like to bring up quickly about Black Widow, yeah. Billy, is Scarlett Johansson has such, like, a strong, distinct American accent. I don't for a second believe that the character... Like, the, the, the character's Russian. Like, you'd think she'd have... If, you know, like, surely the character could have, like, a mild accent know, or something. Is she, is she South African? Scott Johansson. Yeah. Look, Joe. I think Johansson's a South African last name. I 
I could be wrong, okay. but I'm not quite sure. But oh. my point is, she has a strong American accent. Surely, like, it seems weird to me that they never put on, like, her default accent. Surely it would have, yeah. like, a tinge of Russian to it. The other thing that I liked is that she... Uh, they make her out, like, she... Like, I mean, she's just used to, you know, uh, spy missions, wet works type stuff for S.H.I.E.L.D.s. She's not really used to this, like, demigods and stuff. And they mention that. Like, or prolonged combat, essentially. Yeah, like her and Hawkeye. Like, they're, they're not... They're field operatives, but they're not, like... They're not soldiers with, in the same yeah, way. They're spies. Super, like, science fiction type stuff. Whereas, um... They mention that. And, like, you know, she she's attacked by the Hulk. And she does sort of freeze up. And yes. after a while, and you can see her shivering and realising, like, you know, I have to get up. I need to. And I think... Trying to figure out what makes her, um, I think the mention of Barton going to the detention center like shocks her out of that sort of freeze and frozen after being attacked by the Hulk and scared. Mm. I kind of like that um, that like you know she realizes you know this isn't what she's used to. Yeah. I don't know. There's, some, there's something kind of interesting about it. But I guess my point is she's the only one that seems to get shocked by the Hulk. There are plenty of other spies and operatives on well, that I mean, that you, you think would be equally shocked. It's a horrific. It's meant to be a horrific event. Well, a man if, turning into this monster. Well, even Hawkeye when he like sort of gets attacked by um, Natasha and then you know is in the infirmary ward, sort of getting himself out of that over that mind. Yeah, the mind control, over. which apparently can be broken by being hit on the head. Yes, which. Which, I I get annoyed at Joss Whedon's very liberal use of mind control as a plot device in a lot of his works, and he uses it again in Avengers 2, mm. um, which to me came across as disrespectful to the audience, given in your previous Avengers film you used, you used mind control. But um, I, so I mean, even change Haw- your device. Yeah, but even Hawkeye mentions that like this is not what we're normally used to as well. Yeah, so but, he's not the only agent to say. But also the rules around the mind control are very loose and it, it, to the point where it 100% feels like a plot device mm. and not actually something that organically works with the story. It was no. just... Especially given that Loki's staff has two diametrically opposed options, either mind control or blasting shit. Yeah. Shall we talk about the Asgardians now? The Asgardians? What, yeah, uh, about you, yeah, Loki and Thor? Yeah, what did you think of Loki? I think that this version of Loki is by far the worst version. Straight up villain Loki is, to me, comes across as really just uninteresting. I Look, no, I get it. He's meant to be more Machiavellian. Especially compared to, I love that in um, in Ragnarok, you feel like he's playing both sides. He's yeah. lo- he's, he'll switch loyalties to survive. And I like Loki as a survivor rather than a straight up dick yeah. villain. I feel like this, though, and this is how I read it, like... He fell into, you know, the yeah, black the, hole the or whatever void it is. of space. Void of space. Um, he was probably obviously found by, by Thanos. Thanos. Yes. Um, and I feel like his whole thing is, you know, what I have, like, he has anger issues because, you know, he's found out that he's adopted, um, which, and then also, you know, ousted sort of out of Asgard, he feels, um... I've, and then, you know, stuck with Thanos, I guess, having to do stuff for him. It's so very much like he... a deal, a bad deal. So do you think... Taking advantage of a bad deal. Uh, so it's sort of like he's made a deal with the devil and he's sort of trying to endure it and survive it. Yeah, I mean, there's even points when he's talking to Thor and, like, he 
for a moment thinks, you know, I can go home, but then he's like, no, fuck you. I'm stuck this. I need to do as much as I can to. Uh, but I would argue that that's undercut by the fact that he's spouting this ideology, this idea that freedom, that man's freedom leads to trouble and suffering. Yeah. Which is a very hacky, uh, a very hacky rewrite of the Buddhist, of one of the core Buddhist teachings about desire leads to suffering. So mm. this tacky, tacky rewrite that life would be better if we were just subjugated. And the fact that he spouts his ideology a lot leads me to believe that Joss Whedon wants you to think that he genuinely believes this and that men are inferior and that that's what's driving him, which undercuts the narrative that he's trying to survive. Look, I, I mean, look, I, I get it. It's out of all of his portrayals, it's not his worst one, this one, but I do enjoy it. Which portrayal do you think's worse? Um, I'd say I think Thor 1's probably a little bit worse. Yeah. I think he's slightly better in this. I mean, that's the thing. They're not all bad. That's the thing. It's not like worst as in like Hulk worst. It's more like <laughs> yeah, which out of your favourite, which out of your four favourite is the least favourite. I think in Thor The Dark World, he came, he was one of the best parts of that film and began yeah. to come into his stride, especially because in this film, I think he'll, I felt like Hiddleston and Hemsworth were both still getting comfortable in the roles. You know, I don't think Hiddleston was quite there yet in terms of peak Loki. And I think he sort of hit it in Thor 2. Mm. Okay. Um, what did you think of Thor? Um, it's a better wig. <laughs> yeah, true. It is a better wig. Mm. We've talked about... I think we've talked about this earlier in the podcast. The fact that the versions of these characters are their most vanilla, sort of straightforward versions. Mm-hmm. And I think that hit me the most with, with Thor. That, he, that he's just sort of, I'm a god, I know what's best. He's, again, more even-tempered than he was in his own film, but still a bit arrogant. Yeah, he's better... No, I feel like he's he's grown more than his first film. He's not the arrogant Thor from the first Thor film. Mm, but he's burdened with great purpose. It seems to... It sort of makes him think that he's more, his opinions and what he needs to do is more valid than anyone else. Yeah, exactly. I mean, all the, the only humans he's sort of interacted really are... Jane Foster, Eric Selvig, um, and Darcy, and Darcy, um, and Phil Coulson. So, I feel like he thinks like these people know that I'm right. Everyone else should just listen to them and know that I'm right, type thing. But I still feel that he's grown more compared to the previous film. Oh, and they throw in that thing that that just felt so pointless and very uh, very functional uh, after he gets thrown out of the heli carrier yeah. you know, in the prison made for the he, Hulk. Look, he looks at the um, he looks at the hammer and, and then lightning strikes and then suddenly gets sleeves his armour and sleeves and stuff like that but that happens in the first film I guess he yeah he got his armour yeah but yeah. now he's getting in, not putting on his armour he's putting on an upgrade isn't he or did he have those did he have yeah. the uncoverings uh, not really I mean I think that's in his different battle armour Essentially, um, but he could have just had that. He could have just worn that costume from the beginning. Yeah. Like they, they did, it didn't need its own scene. Did you see him like hesitating to grab the hammer because he feels like you know slightly unworthy? Yes, I liked that. I yeah. thought that was good. I had the fact that he sort of has an awareness uh, of his actions and the fact that his actions could affect his ability to wield the hammer. Yeah. Um... I did, there was also sticking to the Asgardians. There was this like so. There's a scene in the film when Thor first arrives. He rips like Loki out of the Quinjet. Yes. Um, and then like you know has a speech with him and talking and stuff like that. 
during that scene, do you remember hearing like these two like ravens like squawking? No, I don't. Okay, so um, those two ravens, and I think there's a reason why they're there. Is so. Is Odin, it like an, like a, a Odin, Easter egg of Odin yeah, or something? So, yeah, Odin has... Odin loses his eye. So, in the comics, Odin, like, submits... Gives his eye up for more, like, knowledge. And I think that happens in the movies as well. And to, I, like, well, I think and, in the movies, he only has one eye. Yeah, he gives up his eye for knowledge and stuff. And I think part of it is he gets those two ravens. That's, a, that's not a bad deal. Yeah, and those two, ravens, two ravens of yeah, knowledge. Those two ravens sort of like can fly anywhere or whatever. And I and assume they give him sight. Yeah, give him sight like, beyond sight. Um, the, the Asgardian version of a, um, of a hover drone. Yes. And so apparently that's meant to be them in the film. Okay, I that's feel like... That's quite a cool... I like that. That's like a small a Easter tiny, egg. Yeah, small Easter egg for the fans of the comics and stuff and know things. I like that. Um, do we want to move on uh, now to... The Ooh. other blonde hero? Yes, yeah, so a Cap. Cap. What did you think of Cap? Okay, I think Cap did... Was, for me, the best part of this film. Uh, yeah, I think he was one of the better parts of the film. I like that he still is the man at a time, given mm. what he's wearing. Outside, like his civilian clothes, feels very oh, dated. The, well, the high pants. The yeah, pants the are high very pants. high. <laughs> and the, the collared shirt type thing and the brown bomber jacket. He's a bit of a curmudgeon in this film. Oh, yeah, he's... Do you also... Okay, I'm not judging, like, bodybuild-wise or anything, but mm. did you see, comparing him to his first film, I don't know, something... And even, like, the boxing scene, when he's in the cap outfit throughout the entire film, he looks really thin like I don't yeah. know his frame looks really small I think part of that is because the the uniform just has a whole expanse of blue whereas the yeah. other uniform had patches and and different components that emphasise the muscles a yeah. little bit more so I, I I think it's his costume which in this film I like I'm glad they only kept the costume for this film because I just think it was quite goofy yeah I wasn't a huge fan of it it felt like it felt like the comics Stop, the stalwart, stalwart comics film. And I mean, he Phil, Phil says he does have some um, intake in the costume. It did feel like a modern take of Cap's... Original. Yeah, a, 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 a original advertising costume yes. for the War Bonds. Something I noticed about Cap in this film is I, I personally think he's the only character... The only out of sort of the main uh, Avengers characters, so like Thor, Iron Man, and Hulk, the only one to not have his own character arc. Yeah, no, he doesn't. And I think the reason, so for all the ca- for the three, for the the characters, for most of them, I mean, actually, I do wonder how much. Oh no, Thor does have an arc. Oh, it's um, mainly Tony Stark probably has the biggest arc. Yeah, which we can talk do you about. feel that like this is also a continuation of Cap's arc? From his mouth, from his film, given that okay. it is with the, mm. given it is with the um, cosmic cube, and the hydro weapons, and maybe yeah. weapons and stuff. Interesting. That's a good point. I think so. The thing about Cap's arc and with the hero is the idea that they have a flaw that they have to overcome, and that's mm. part of the hero's journey. Yeah. But with Cap, his yeah. flaw is never his. Like he's already Captain America, even when he's skinny. He has those ideals and those morals. His flaw is. His, weak as shit and sick he gets yeah. a serum suddenly his floor is overcome and mm. as a character he's pretty much done 
what he's doing in the Captain America film isn't really proving it. He's not proving anything to himself or changing within himself. He's simply showing everyone else who he is as a person this year. Yeah, I feel like in this film there's no like there's no personal arc. There's no need for him to grow. Yeah. Whereas um, in Winter Soldier, he, uh, he's growing because Bucky comes along and throws yeah. him out of balance. I mean, you notice in like, in this film, he's still very prim and proper, calling everyone ma'am but or you know mister what? or and stuff like that. I think it's just the way Whedon writes him because, of course, in the in the Cat Avengers uh, two Age of Ultron, he there's that running joke about Cap saying language when one of the Avengers says shit. Yeah. Uh, so I get the impression that that's how Whedon like r- just happens to write the character, and I think that might have more to do with Whedon's writing style as Cap rather okay. than the He's... overall character arc within the MCU. Okay. Um, yeah. Look, I mean, I liked the fighting scenes and how he's very commanding as well. Like, you know, he becomes the like the leader in the field. Yes, and more ac- and the other Avengers sort of are very happy to take his orders by the end of the film. Yeah, I did like the um, sort of the the hero moments where it's like, you know, they're bouncing um, shots and stuff sort of thing. When he jumps and throws the grenade away, that was good. Yeah, and also like, you know, the whole, like, attacks people and then holds the shield up and... Oh, and deflects. Yeah, deflects Iron Man shot to kill him. Yeah. That feels like a very, like, yeah, comic book fight scene! Yes. Yeah, for sure. And I, I... they, something I noticed in this film is his fight style is a lot more aerial than it was in the first one. A lot mm. more jumping, a lot more kicking. Yeah. Uh, which, I mean... I feel like maybe for these films, they should stick with um, a stunt coordinator for the same one for all of them. Yes, I would agree. Like, you, a different styles can sort of lead to... It can be a little bit jarring. Yeah. Especially because, I mean, he's jumping around doing all these high kicks and stuff. And, I mean, part of the, we find, like, in the first film, it's never shown that he really had any proper combat or martial arts training. No, it's just army style. And, like, anyone can sort of learn to throw throw a punch, but, like, to pull off, like, a good high kick or sort of more an acrobatic fighting style, I mean, that takes discipline. No, even if you have, like, the perfect body, you're not going to have the muscle memory or the skills to just do that shit. Yeah, and you feel, like, in Cap Winter Soldier, he does, like, sort of, by that stage he's had a bit more training he's actually been around shield guys and he's working with shield so you can believe that he actually Mm. is more of a a trained military operative now yeah alright shall we uh, who do we want to do first Iron Man or Hulk I feel like Hulk's pretty quick at least I've only got a couple of things about the Hulk yeah let's talk about Hulk alright do you want to lead Billy so this is the first iteration of the new Actor taking over. Ruffle Hulk. Hulk. Ruffle Hulk. Oh, Mark Ruffalo. I love Mark Ruffalo as Bruce Banner and the Hulk. Yes, he's not He's not as scrawny as Norton. No, and I feel like he has that wry reserve, like a calm calmness to himself. <laughs> which is undercut by the fact the big reveal for him is that he's always angry, which yeah. doesn't actually... It's a great soundbite, but to me doesn't make any sense within the character like if you're always angry then wouldn't you just become the aren't you then like always on the edge of becoming the Hulk yeah you just have to like work at keeping the anger at bay look like look I really enjoyed um it's a nice refresh for the Hulk I felt I mean essentially this is almost like kind of another reboot for the Hulk of course yeah for sure Uh, look I really enjoy 
Ruffalo. He has that sort of like he has a charisma. I think that Norton doesn't. Norton's a little bit colder on screen. Yeah, um, he has like this like nerd humor, like bashfulness about him, which is okay. charismatic. Yeah, I think he plays... Like, even he's interacting, like, even with... He plays with Tony Stark very well. Yeah. And, yeah, and Black Widow. And I definitely felt like they began to sort of hint at their relationship a little bit, or the fact that Black Widow sort of sees a a kindness in him and the Hulk that no one else sort of does. Mm. The thing that uh, I certainly had a problem with was the rules that they... Or the lack of rules for the Hulk in this film. What do you mean? Well, a huge plot point in the in the middle of the film is that uh, Loki's plan was to get captured and then to unleash the Hulk because the Hulk's so angry and big and unpredictable, um, and that happens. And the Hulk basically tears shit up. He, you know, he can't be controlled. He's angry. He's basically a, an uncaged animal. And then when Ruffalo comes to, it's hinted that the Hulk. When the Hulk fell, he went out of his way to not kill anyone. Yeah. Which doesn't make any sense, given that he was just chasing people around the heli character trying to kill them. And then right at the end of the film... It's very much... No, I, I feel like... like It's almost like the Hulk was woken up after a year of being asleep. Almost. But then at the end of the film, Banner essentially has full control over the Hulk, and yeah. Cap- Amer- Captain America can order the Hulk around, whereas like half an hour before... Black, like Black Widow, who's a friend, essentially a friend, the closest thing Bruce Banner has to a friend, is almost killed by the Hulk. So it's he's whatever the plot needs him to be. Yeah. And there's not really any consistency to him. I feel like they've worked out how to best handle the Hulk in the Marvel films at the moment. By that stage, it's like the Hulk is great in small doses. Yes. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think you know you need you need Banner uh, for the character interaction, and then you sort of want the Hulk when you want. To uh, pull up those big action set pieces, mm. and I think it's in many ways it's a similar story in um, Thor Ragnarok as well. I mean, the Hulk is in some of those quieter moments, but he's definitely there to facilitate some of the big action scenes. Yeah. Um, let's move on to Iron Man. Yeah, lucky last. Yeah. So Tony Stark. Yeah. What did you think of it in this film, Billy? Um, I liked. I liked a lot of it. Um, I like that it's you know it shows the next stage in him and Pepper's relationship, like they are like a couple in this film. Um, mm. Which is, I just want to. I feel like the him and Pepper Pot stuff has so been screwed over by how uh, the unavailability of Gwyneth Paltrow that it feels so on and off again. Like yeah. it was hinted that they broke up, and then I think he, he does he propose to her in Spider Man Homecoming. I, I don't even. Know. I think he does, and you're like, "What's going to happen? Are they even going to get Paltrow back?" It just yeah, feels, well, well, uh, yeah. And I feel that's like that left a bit of taste in my mouth when I saw their scenes together. To know that I have no idea what's happening with this relationship. Yeah, and I feel look. I mean, props to anyone. Look, I mean, if you don't want to continue with the franchise, that's great. It's okay. Mm. But I felt like you know, yeah, it kind of it does suck. But also, I, I, I mean, Gwen Paltrow's how, a bit crazy now. She does all those the weird old, vagina egg things and. Freaky health shit, mm. like it's where eat this slop or slime or something. I wonder, like, how hard would it be to recast Pepper Pops at this point? Like, get another, like, I mean, Jessica Chastain or uh, yeah, look, I mean, you, or die a uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. Both of them, I feel, would be perfect fits. I mean, yeah, Bryce you, Dallas Howard probably be a bit easier to get than Jessica Chastain. But yeah. my point remains, no, no, get I mean, like a redheaded. Gets... 
and if you get actress. S- yeah, if you get someone that's sort of similar features, mm. I guess. Another white person. Another look, another white person with red hair. It's yeah. not that fucking hard. Um look, I mean look, anyway, let's back to yeah, let's pivot yeah. back to Tony Stark. Look, uh I like how like all we've mentioned in the other film, like Tony Stark has this continuing trend where he becomes a better person in that film, but he's still growing as a person and learning to work with other people. Like, in this film, he still feels like he's the smartest in the room. I'm the king's shit. Like, I, you know, what I say is the best option type thing. He's very still arrogant person. Yeah, I think he's an ego. I think a, he's an ego man. Yeah, the, both the first two films feel like his ego gets him into trouble, yeah. and then instead of overcoming his ego, he's sort of able to retreat into his genius, and his genius helps him overcome the problem caused by his ego. Yeah. And in this film, Cap challenges him to sort of basically says, "You're not capable of stepping up and being do, making the sacrifice play," which feels poignant coming from Cap, given that his film, you know, at the end of his film, he, without even hesitating, makes that play. Mm. And earlier in the film, when uh, when the f- fake grenade is thrown, Cap jumps on it. Yeah. So it feels poignant coming from a character who's very willing to make the sacrifice play. And Tony Stark finally makes it in this film, not sure if he's which, getting out of it. Yeah, which also then leads to some PTSD for him. Yeah, in Iron Man 3. 3, Which to me felt a bit weird given that, like, why why was it that 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 led to the PTSD given all the other shit he got, like, he's been through? Well, I felt the whole, like, you know, he's going to be, he's going to die in space and no one's going to know anything about it. Interesting. Because, I mean... Playing into his fear of sort of wanting to be famous and loved. Yeah, and I mean, that whole, like, you know, he... He's... Yeah, he sees all that and he's going to die, but, you know... I don't know. He like he only wakes up when he doesn't even think he's going to make it back to the portal because he loses consciousness. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then he of course gets uh, picked up. Is it by Hulk or Thor that grabs him? I think it's Hulk. Uh, Hulk. I did like some of the t- tech upgrades for um, Iron Man. The Mark Seven uh, suit. Yeah, and I did like how the like you know he's trying to do like um, you know clean energy. Uh, try and move the company away from arms race type stuff. Yeah, you know what's funny about about like the first Iron Man film where he goes on about he's never going to make any weapons. Mm. Like most, all he does since then is make weapons. They're just different. It's just called the Iron Man suit. Exactly. Which again, I think speaks to the fact that he says he's going to change and be better, but he is still the same person. I mean, because mm. in, in Spider-Man Homecoming, he's very sort of uh, narcissistic and and self-centred. Mm. Um, Anything else you want to add about Iron Man? I like that he dropped the life model decoy. Yes, I History. did pick up on that. Yeah. I which mean, are a big part of um, the Nick Fury mythology in um in Yeah, Marvel, and also in uh, the comics. a big part of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, it's a... I feel like it's... Um, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's an idea that's been going around uh, for a while, but nothing happened. And then finally, in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., they realised, yes, we can make... Like, the the idea got kick-started again to start up again. Okay. And essentially, what a life model is, is, is an android which looks exactly like a human, and it's your decoy. You control it. Like, it can, it can pass for a human. Okay. When you say pass, are we, does that mean it has full functioning genitalia? Possibly. <laughs> yeah. 
Possibly. That's always where my my mind goes. Is Most there a penis? Is there a penis? Do we want to? Oh, do we want to finish off with um with Stan Watch and talking about the uh, yes? The let's. What did you think of the Stan Watch? Oh God, it, it was could a have lot. Been, It was one of those ones which could have been here or there. Like if it was there, mm. you wouldn't have noticed it. I did. I mean, it was funny initially when you watched it, but it's like, uh, it's one of those groaning humours. I would say this so far is my pick for most grading Stanley cameos. Like superheroes? What? Call me conservative, Billy, but I like my Stanleys seen and not heard. Yes. I, I think the better ones are when he's in like the Iron Man films and just gets mistaken for a different old man like Hugh Hefner or something. I don't yes. want him saying shit. Uh, he's yeah, not like, an actor and it, it, the way he says stuff is very like over the top. Yeah. Superheroes um, in New York? Like, what? Yeah, like, ugh. Um, one thing I've, I wanted to bring up that uh, we didn't mention it, um, just with Hulk. I know, um, I, Hulk, sorry, Bruce Banner mentioning that he attempted to kill Superman. Yes, suicide. you brought we this up in the Hulk episode as well. Yeah, so, yeah, in the Hulk episode, one of the, sorry, in the Hulk movie, Incredible Hulk. <laughs> If only it was just yeah. one episode as opposed to the yeah. whole movie. In the Incredible Hulk movie, uh, one of the cutscenes was initially it was initially going to start with the Hulk, uh, Bruce Banner attempting to kill himself. But the Hulk, which is a great way to start a family yeah, superhero film. Yeah, and but Hulk um, grabbing the bullet and spitting it out like, "No, you're not going to kill us." And Ruffalo mentions that he attempted in this in Avengers. He mentions that he did attempt to kill himself. Mm. And I, it is relevant to the plot because Tony Stark sort of seeds this idea that the Hulk was uh, saving and protecting Bruce Banner for a greater purpose, mm. uh, which is hinted at in this in this film. Yeah, um, I do want to mention also just when we talk about things, there's another cameo, um, which is kind of cool. So Harry Dean Stan, uh, Staten um, is playing some sort of like janitor or security guard that is where the Hulk and Bruce Banner... Hulk Bruce Banner crashes down, and, like, he gives Bruce Banner some clothes. Oh, I didn't realise that... This shows you how much I don't know about film. I didn't realise it was a notable actor and that it was a character. Yeah, so it was a notable actor, and he's, like... He mentions, like, like what are you, some kind of alien That's or something. That's right. He's in the first Alien film. Oh, interesting. And so the line goes back to that, which is kind of cool. Uh, speaking of cameos, um, one of the... Cap saves a blonde woman in the Battle for New York, and that blonde woman is Ashley Johnson, the voice actor who voices um, Ellie Ellie in The Last of Us. Oh, okay. She, I'm sure she does other, a lot of other voices as well. Yeah, I think she does some voices for one of the DC Teen Titans. It's, it's quite likely. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, Stingers. Yes. Let's talk about them Stingers. This is the first... First double Stinger. First double Stinger. So, first post-credit... Oh, no, wait. Is it first post... First post credit? I thought some of the other ones were at the very end of the... Yeah, I think this is the first time we had one at the end of, like, the cinematic... The, you know, like, the credits with the fancy graphics. Yeah, so, like... And then one at the end mid, of the normal credits. Yeah, so mid-credits and then end credits. So, the mid-credits, I mean, it leads us to... Uh, Thanos. Thanos. And that's saying... I had this spoiled for Really? When it first came I'm out. S- I'm so sorry that a movie was spoiled for you, Billy. How do you how do you sleep at night? How do you Oh, uh, no, it was How do you go on? Like, oh, come on. If you were excited for <laughs> no, this that's film fair. and someone told you, like, you know, that friggin' Thanos was the main villain. Like, it's a bit, it's a bit shitty. But yeah, I like that. I did like um, the line, though. It's very much like, 
to you know attack the humans is to court death, and then it turns. And Thanos is like, look at horny. He's pretty horny about it. Yes, because um, for people that don't know, in the he comics, wants to fuck death. Yeah, in the comics, um, death is uh, like he's portrayed a... by this like hot woman. Well, no, no, it's this woman in like a black sort of. It almost looks like the Grim Reaper. What the Grim Reaper wears. Yes, yeah, so but so like, sexy clothes. Yes, yeah, a sexy clothes. <laughs> but like it's always almost always this female figure. And death is, uh, and Thanos is obsessed with death and like courting her. Mm, so interesting. I, yeah, I did like that. What did you think of the? Yeah, I. Mid-coder? Look, I think uh, the Thanos, they, the design of Thanos has looked a little bit better as time's gone along until they got rid of his hat and mm. given him that weird egghead in the uh, Infinity Infinity War trailer. But here, like. It doesn't look specifically like Josh Brolin either. No, at that stage, I think they hadn't figured out who was going to be Thanos. Uh, now, what did you think of? It's barely a stinger. What happens at the very end credits? No, um, it's it, just them eating shawarma. Eating shawarma post New York like battle. I was like, eh, it's not the greatest of. I think the Avery, it was filmed really late as well. I heard that I was only added. I think it was added after the film had hit like cinematic release. I could yeah, be wrong. Yeah, something like that, or after the premiere or something. It, to me, it feels like pandering. People were like, "Oh, that would be funny." Avengers doing normal people thing, like having food, and then they like it just came across as it's a bit just, pandering. Yeah, it's just them sitting together. But that started the whole trend of so the mid credit is yeah. about the next feature. And the post-credits at the end... As a is comic a, relief. As a comic relief for the particular film that we're watching. Yes. Yeah, um, the Spider-Man one, in Stinger in particular, comes to mind where at the end it's Cap yeah. doing the community service announcement. Yes. Which, which is, I think, one of the funniest Stingers. Yes. All right, so now me and Christoph are going to talk about how we feel of this film. Has this film changed overall... Um, in our rankings in our rankings for the films. entire Marvel Universe and I thought it was Marvel Cinematic might, Universe also might be a bit of fun to given that this is the end of Phase 1 to, to rank, rank our Phase 1 film yeah alright look let's, do, it, do our, let's do our top threes first because that'll be pretty quick uh, this hasn't changed no, my it hasn't. rankings it hasn't Has it changed, changed one? no look just for the listeners at home shall we re-go through our rankings yep do yours first yeah no worries alright first up is Captain America 2 a Winter Soldier mm-hmm. second up it's Guardians of the Galaxy and third is a Cap 3 Civil War. So mine is Cap Civil War, Thor Ragnarok, and Avengers. Okay. Oh, okay, so Avengers was in your top three. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's, let's talk about our Phase 1 film. So mine is Avengers, yep. um, Iron Man Cap, mm-hmm. Thor, Iron Man 2, and then Hulk. Mine's very similar. It's Avengers, but Captain America before Iron Man. Mm. Uh and so, yeah, Avengers, Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, Iron Man 2, and then Incredible Hulk. Okay. At the lead. Uh, the rewatch of Iron Man 2 has knocked it off my top three yeah. and into the bottom of the Marvel Universe. It does not hold up well. No. Now, we're going to do a segment which is, if you liked it, then read it. Yeah, if you like this, then read this. Which we're, is, Yeah, we're going to suggest some comics that we feel like you might enjoy Yeah, if you happen to enjoy this film. I mean, we've mentioned it in the previous episode, is the fact that, unfortunately, Marvel or Marvel and Disney don't really do much uh, to promote, at the end of these films, to promote the fact that they've got a wealth of comic books mm-hmm. that tell stories about these characters. So don't worry, Disney, we've got your back, and we're, gonna, we're here to tell people about 
comics that they might enjoy reading if they happen to enjoy these films. Okay. So, and so oh, sometimes they will be blatantly about the uh, the characters or the properties that the films are about, and sometimes they might be a book that just has some interesting elements or tonally familiar elements from the film. So why my first one is the I've mentioned it in a previous um, issue. Uh, episode previous episode sorry but um the ultimates so um this is that's from, right yeah uh written by and created by mark miller mark miller and i'm trying to think of the artist yeah i'm not quite sure who was on that first run because of course it ran for a while is the one that draws like it's porn star oh greg land no i feel like there might be a couple of a couple of um artists of comic artists who reference porn or trace. Yeah, there are, there is a few that do that. Um, but yeah, what's your um... yeah? So my um, Avengers pick is Jonathan Hickman's Avengers run. So it ran for ages, and he's so therefore it had a whole bunch of different artists. Uh, but the first arc, I believe, had is it Gerard Opena on the art who does who if you know the art of Isad Ribic, it's very similar in a sense. That it's sort of this lush detailed pencil art mm-hmm. um, and I believe he was, did the first arc with Jonathan Hickman and the reason I mentioned specifically Jonathan Hickman's Avengers run is at the beginning of his Avengers run there's this, it starts with a speech from Cap talking about how the Avengers need to get bigger um, and he and one of the key things Jonathan Hickman did in his run was expand the Avengers roster to 18 characters yep. and it reminded me of Nick Fury's uh speech in this film about there was the idea that people could come together to be bigger than what to fight the enemies that we never could and I think Hickman's run very much encapsulates that sort of that core idea okay um, I'm going to suggest Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes volume 1 um, it's like 1 to 18 it's from 2005 yeah um, it's by Joe Casey and Scott Collins and it's um, not to be confused with the animated series. It's that's what I was wondering. Yeah, it's a mini series that explores the early days of the um, super team. Okay. Yeah. Um, the other one I wanted, the other book I wanted to recommend is a Marvel book, but it's not an Avengers book. Mm-hmm. It's um, Astonishing X Men issues one to twenty four, mm-hmm. which were written by Joss Whedon with art by John Cassidy. And um, if you, if you like Joss Whedon's work, then this Avengers run very much encapsulates everything that's good about his work, his character work, uh, strong strong female characters, big plot twists, uh, big action moments. It has all of that. And, of course, the the well-known Joss Whedon plot holes as well. But it's yes. a, it, it is a good run. Uh, and, if you, and if you liked his like, superhero writing on this, his work on Astonishing X-Men is very similar and very good. Um, so, uh, I remember the artist, the artist that I mentioned for Ultimates, Brian Hitch. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah no, you're right. He is a bit, he's a bit porny in his style. Yeah. Very well, specific. By porny, we mean, like, if you put the art up against certain images from porn or magazines... It, man, it, it, the pose it, and facial expressions even Like, the shocked looks like... <gasps> and it looks like the open mouth they're about to make when a cock... Or a vagina is about to Wow, okay, mouth. that's a lot. Mouth of Good a male or female. Good. Well, it is 2018. Yeah. Um, the other suggestion I was going to make is... Uh, so, Kurt Busiek um, has done a great run on um, Avengers. Um, I'm also a big fan of his work. Um, so, his, his run with George Perez oh. and also Carlos Paccio. Um, they've done some great work. 
So the, grab any of the various like volumes or trades that have like a like it'll probably collect a storyline um, and trades. So any of those trades would be great. Awesome. All right. Well, anything else you want to recommend? Um, there's another one. Um, Jeff Johns uh, wrote Avengers for a while. Oh wow! This must have been before DC sort of yeah, got him exclusively. Um, yeah. And the creative team was Jeff Johns and. Olivia Coppa. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so they did a series called who, Red Zone. Who, funnily enough, I think was on a Marvel exclusive contract, but has now switched over to DC. Yeah. But yeah, there we go. All right, well... Um, so that's us. Um, now, you can catch either of us on uh, Facebook at Geek of Oz or our website, geekofoz.com. Yes. Um, we're also... The podcast is also located on Wushaka. Um, just Google... Uh, the podcast yeah to infinity war and, and beyond. beyond and of course if you could write and a review and on uh, for us on itunes that would be super helpful and it would help us to find more listeners so if you exactly. could take 30 seconds out of your out of your day to do that would be very appreciative excellent before we go i also wanted to quickly uh plug a project a comics project i'm involved in which i mentioned last week called corpus mm-hmm. an anthology of bodily ailments it's edited uh, and curated by my good friend Nadia Shamus, and I've got a short story in it as well. So it will be on Kickstarter at the point that this goes, at the time that this goes to air. Uh, so yeah, please um, head on to Kickstarter, look for Corpus and Anthology of Bodily Ailments, and check it out because it's a, a great product, and we'd really appreciate your support. All right, uh, that's been us, and we'll see you next week. All right, see you then. <laughs>